0: I thought, well, this is just not going to work out. In the first six to eight months, there was times when I didn't get paid, and you know, we'd have to wait two months to get paid. So there was times when I was really concerned about it. But with everything, you know, you keep persevering, you keep selling, and you keep doing what you do and believe in a product, and you just push through it. You know, you can't let doubt creep in, or or you're just going to give up.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Founder Shares Podcast. We're so happy that you've chosen to spend some time with us. I'm your host, Trevor Schmidt, and I'm an attorney at Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Every day we work with founders and entrepreneurs as they fight, grind, stress, and push to bring their visions to life. We're inspired by their incredible stories of success and failure, reworking, and trying again. At Hutchison, we help technology and life science companies start up operate get funded and exit but we're excited for the chance to share some of these stories with you so whether you're already an entrepreneur have a business idea or are just fascinated by the stories of how a venture goes from the idea to a success or sometimes a failure well this podcast is for you on the founder shares podcast we hear about these journeys straight from the founders and learn the keys to their success the lessons they've learned along the way and the advice that they want to share with others Today's guest is Bob Friedman, co-founder and CEO of Blue Dog Software. Blue Dog is the company behind the Simple Auction Site Software, an auction software platform which provides all the back-end functionality to allow auction houses to sell their sports and political memorabilia, fine wine, artwork, and other collectibles. The Blue Dog story starts with the early struggles of running a company, including not getting paid for months at a time. But it ends where so many founders listening to this are hoping to end one day with a successful exit. For Bob, being in the auction industry it didn't happen by accident. Along with being in IT for many, many years, 20 or 30
0: years, I collected baseball cards and baseball memorabilia, and I got to be friends with some of the dealers. And so as I learned what they were doing and how they were doing it by post-it notes and pen and paper, I decided to give them two cents and say, you should be doing it better. And, They asked me to do it for them. So one thing led to another, and we got one customer and then two and three just by listening to them and talking to them and what they
1: needed and what they wanted. That was back in 2007, and Bob decided to start this new venture with his brother, Steve, who's still the CTO. It has its pitfalls and it
0: has its... uh, Good points as well. Obviously, the good points outweigh the bad. But with your brother, you can be brutally honest. You can say things that you can never take back. But but that's good. Sometimes you need to hear the truth or say the truth. Well, and you've obviously been very successful with it. So you guys must have made it work. We did. Uh, fortunately for, for me, my brother is very patient and forgiving. <laughs> Otherwise, any other person may have just told me that he quits. I, with any company, there's a lot of friction mm-hmm. and learning how to grow.
1: But uh, we worked through it, obviously, and we're the better for it, I think. No, that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned that when you first started the company, you were working somewhere else at the time, right? So you're doing this on the side? Uh, we did it for about three years, uh, where we basically worked two jobs, mm-hmm. our day jobs and then this. And what was the tipping point that made you decide, no, this is really, this is what I'm going <laughs> to do and I'm going to jump off? Well, it was a, it was a couple of things. Uh,
0: one, it was really beginning to interfere with my day job, and I couldn't really... Do my day job without this spilling in. One of the the, the things that kind of convinced us is that we knew that with anything, it, practical things were needed, and one was health insurance. Mm. And my wife has health insurance, so I could quit this and still get health insurance. I mean, I know it sounds kind of a, a trivial thing to. But it's obviously important.
1: Yeah. These are the realities that some people don't think about when they think about starting a company. Okay. All of yep. a sudden, not only do I have to pay myself, but I have these benefits. I have to, all
0: these other things that you might not think of. These practical points came to a point where we thought we could do it and thought we could give it a go for six months to a year. And if it worked, we were great. And if
1: not, we'd just go back and do what I did. So was that the mindset? I'll, we'll do this for six months and see where we're at. We'll do this for another six months and see where we're at. Not at first. For Steve, it was.
0: Hmm. I mean, he was given by his wife a deadline (laughs) and said, if you're not making money in six months, then you're done. Uh, With me, it was more all in or nothing. You know, my skills were that I could find a job anywhere as an IT manager or as a, you know, developer, whatever I wanted to do. I could always find a job around here doing that. So I never really looked at it as an end point.
1: Yeah. So what what is it about some of the skills that you had from prior experiences that, that helped you with the company?
0: Yeah. So one of the, the past jobs that I've had, one was a consultant. And so we would just go into different companies, such as an insurance company or a publishing company and try to get an understanding of what they were doing and how they want to differentiate themselves in the marketplace with their others. So we would do an analysis. We'd have a business team go in there and do an analysis and try to find out what they were doing and what their competitors were doing. And then give them an IT edge Above those. And I worked on the IT department. So understanding what the, the business goals are, understanding what the business processes are, those are all really, really important and key to understanding how, you know, you build a platform for that industry.
1: So you were essentially then taking the same idea and then applying it to auction companies. Absolutely. It like. So you're coming Absolutely. in and figuring out what their problems and their right. pain points were.
0: It's a repeatable process that we used on many different companies. You ask a series of questions. You, you look for the reasons and the whys, and then you kind of implement something after
1: that. Interesting. So what were some of the initial challenges as you were either either when you're still doing as a side gig or once you kind of jumped off and were doing it full time? Well, obviously the biggest roadblock for
0: any startup is cash and and trying to be able to bootstrap what you're doing. And fortunately for us, we never had to borrow money. We never went into the, the red for anything that we did. And the biggest reason, I guess, for that is that our very first customer was as patient as, as as you could possibly imagine. We made mistakes. We made just some dumb mistakes along the way, but he was very patient and he paid us along the way. So we found somebody that was a very good benefactor, was easy to work with and would grow with us. how did you come up with that? Or how'd you find
1: that first client?
0: Just dumb luck. Really? It, it was just a, a, a friendship. And one of the things that I've kind of try to do along the way each new customer i try to become friends with Mm -hmm. uh it makes life a lot easier although when they owe you money that friendship starts (laughs) to break down at that point but it's really just a, a relationship business that that i do and creating a relationship between me and my customer base is extremely important now
1: oh, that's interesting do you think it helps that you have this kind of passion and this background for collectibles and you kind of share that same oh
0: absolutely because the the owners of the the auction companies they are basically providing people that collectors this thing that they have to have and that's as collectors, you know, when you see something, you you know, you have a passion for it. And so not only did I have a passion for collecting, but I had a passion for this business. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the hardest things ever to give up is that passion. So once you have it, you you never let it go.
1: Well, I think it's an amazing gift. I think for you that you found a way to tie your passion in with the business that you're doing. But uh, I think that's great. So what's the coolest thing that you've seen listed with your software? Um well, the most expensive thing,
0: and I was able to, like, World Series rings, like Bob Gibson's World Series ring. I got to put on Kirk Gibson's jersey. He hit the home run that won the World Series for the Dodgers against the A's back in nineteen eighty. I got to put on uh, Babe Ruth. You got jersey. to put it. Or you wore it. I I got to go. So a lot of part of my job is going to the client uh-huh. site and get to see what they have and what they do. You know, and understand their processes. So mm-hmm. a lot of the material that they have is sitting right there in the open. So they would let me try it on the the World Series rings and the bats that Ty Cobb held and Honus Wagner held.
1: It was just a, it was a thrill to, to to actually be a part of the historical memorabilia. That's incredible. I you know I pictured you as you know a software as a service business. You're sitting back in the office, you are typing out code and, and selling the code to people. But it sounds like you got to be a lot more hands on. I did. And Don't tell my brother because he's really <laughs> jealous. He uh, he's as big
0: as a collector as I am. Uh, although. He, we collect different things it's just that one of the our favorite parts is just being part of history and getting to see these
1: really cool items that that's fantastic um so as you're building this company what well, what were some of the, the big challenges that you faced where were your roadblocks in the beginning we tried to chase
0: too many things one of the things that we always tried to keep in mind is you know what's paying the bills mm-hmm. And so when somebody would come to us with an idea about something and that they wanted implemented in their software or a different software platform, we would tend to go do that because that would pay the bills. And that's low hanging fruit that we would go after. So unfortunately, three or four times we did this and it got in the way of us doing what we do best. And so we learned pretty quickly, stick with what we know and, and just do that
1: the best. Interesting. And so you, you mentioned earlier that you never had to take outside investment and you were kind of able to mm-hmm. to grow this organically. If you had to do it again, do you think you would take that same approach? Or was there a point in time where you felt like outside investment would have been really helpful, but you just didn't have the time to go seek it out?
0: I would do the same thing. I would not take outside investment just for the mere fact that I control what I do. Mm-hmm. And what we do is not a $10 million industry where you know I'm going to bring on 20 developers all at once so there's a bit of difference between the size of my company what it's going to be and you know what it could be so I would probably do the same thing is keep the keep the same path that I went on go after you know the money and make sure that what we do best is stick with what we do best I don't think I would go through outside investors because we have the technology to do what we did we just we could have used more money with more developers to build it faster and quicker and better and and more gee whiz bells on it. But I think the the path we took was probably the best one for
1: us. That's great. And so was it immediately apparent that this was going to work out or was there a point in time you're like, mm, maybe I'm going to have to go back to consulting? <laughs> um,
0: there was a couple times I think uh, that I thought, well, this is just not going to work out. Uh, I, I know – in the first six to eight months, there was times when I didn't get paid and, you know, we'd have to wait two months to get paid. So there was times when I was really concerned about it. But with everything, you know, you keep persevering, you keep selling and you keep doing what you do and believe in a product and you just push
1: through it. You know, you can't let doubt creep in or or you're just going to give up. Yeah, that's very true. And I think that separates the personality of the successful entrepreneurs from those who, are working in law firms, I guess. i was <laughs> no, <I'm> just joking. <laughs> uh, but uh, so aside from that first client who you said was very patient with you, and it was really kind of key to you getting mm-hmm. uh, getting that initial traction, was there one client that really kind of pushed you over the edge where you're like, all right, we're we're comfortable now, we can continue to, to roll? Or has it just been a steady growth of clients coming in, clients going out, and you just continue to build the company?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um I I think it's a combination of both. Uh, There there were several customers that were very key along the way for us making it bigger, whether it be our third customer or our 50th customer or the size of the customer. I know when we did our very first big, large-scale customer who does 80 or $90 million a year in sales, that was a very key customer to us. And everybody in the world knows them, so we could always use them as a reference. But... Along the way, the three and $400,000 auctions, those are extremely important to us because they are very steady income. And when investors take a look at you or a a company that's going to look at you, it's the whole picture. And they they certainly don't want to see that 50% of your revenue comes from one client. So having
1: as many different clients on different levels is extremely important. And has it been a lot of word of mouth as far as how you kind of gain those additional clients or are you just out there hitting conferences and kind of drumming up new
0: business. It, it it's, a, it's about as cliche as can be is that uh, your your references are your lifeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, without being able to use them as references or without them talking about you and recommending you, we're nothing. I mean, it, it's just uh, unbelievable. We put our logo on the bottom of all of our clients and we negotiate that up front. And that's
1: the single biggest thing that gets us heard and... And and known about. Okay. Interesting. Now this may actually be an ignorant question, but why, why does like one of your customers come to you to do their own auction site rather than going through like an eBay or or kind of an established kind of big auction company?
0: Well, it's not an obvious answer. The the, the collectors, they need to make sure that the, what they're buying, that $4.4 million Babe Ruth Jersey or that hundred thousand Thai combat is legitimate. That's the auction company's job. On eBay, there is nobody authenticating what this material is. So the, the big difference is is that the auction companies are making sure that what people are buying are legitimate and real. Interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense that they provide kind of that, I guess, verification service. And Absolutely. A, a right. level of trust that may not be...
0: Right, and then that, that's, why, that's why the auction company charges twenty percent buyer's premium or ten percent consigned commission. Those are all part and parcel of what they do, and that's what they
1: get paid for. Now, let me ask you: When did you start thinking about a potential exit? Was that something you had in mind from the beginning, or were you just did it come sometime as you were growing?
0: Well, I'd like to say we didn't start thinking about it until like year ten, but we thought about it from day one. Right, everything we do, we try to make sure that we're purchasable. That everything that we do is for a reason and an end goal. It's important to do that from day one and try to get everything lined up as you go, because doing thirty seconds worth of work once a day is easier than doing twenty hours worth of work in one day. Right. You know, it's just it's a an easy way, easier
1: way to do things. So, what what were some of the things that you did from the beginning that, in your mind, were, were positioning yourself well for for an exit? Well, um,
0: we made sure we had a bookkeeper Mm -hmm. in place so that all our books were auditable and anything that we did, anything money that we spent, it was completely uh, transparent. The paperwork, the contracts that you created for us along the way, we kept those and we made sure that those were always up to date and whether they were – the way you phrased them in there, how they renewed automatically and that just made it easier – when a company was looking at us to say that we're not going to lose customers. So there's a lot of little things along the way that you gave me great advice along the way, as well as just looking ahead to the future. I
1: really appreciate that. And what is something that caught you by surprise, I guess, as, as being a CEO of a company that was a challenge that you didn't necessarily anticipate when you got started?
0: Yeah. The hardest thing in the world is to get money from people when they owe you money. It's just, it's, uh, it's a terrible way to end friendships and relationships, (laughs) but if they're not paying me, then they're stealing from me almost, you know? So really it's caught me by guard how many people think that they didn't have to pay us up, you know, in the beginning and how many people thought they could just pay a little bit now. And it, it really, I just didn't think we'd have this much trouble. Not that it's a huge issue, but, you know, out of, hundred clients, I might have five or six that are delinquent at any one given point, which I never thought about when I when I started.
1: Well, and especially when you you talk about how you, you try to establish friendships with your clients and Absolutely. you build these relationships to then have to come down and knock on the door and say, Hey, buddy, what are we,
0: we doing? We'd have to turn off their website, you know, you know, restrict access to it and it's just a terrible thing you do. You know, you know, what it's their livelihood, you know, and, and I hope that along the way I pay people on time and it's made me more aware of, you know, making sure that I pay within the 30 days net or 45 days or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. Because now I see the repercussions it has down the hill too. Uh, so going back to the, the topic of exits. So when did that start to become a real possibility for you?
0: Yeah, around about year seven or eight, uh, we had a company knock on our door and, you know, kick our tires and things didn't work out there. And we gained some valuable insight to what, you know, worked then and what was wrong with that type of uh, the way to go at that time. So, you know, the next we knew the next time somebody came along, we knew what to do right away and what not to
1: do to get at it. So even that, that, that offer that didn't come through. It sounds like you learned something from it and were able to kind of strengthen the company going forward. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. For example, you're investing money into lawyers and to start doing the research and start putting the books together and all that stuff. So, the second time we made sure that there was money in escrow or we were going to ask about having money in escrow in case it didn't work out because we didn't want to spend tens of thousands of dollars on, on lawyer's fees again, <laughs> Right. as good as they are.
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate that. You want, you want to make sure that, right. that you're getting
0: your value for it. Yeah, absolutely. So we did learn, you know, everything is tuition along the way. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on how you use it. So what were you looking
1: for in a partner or a future partner?
0: That, that's a great question, and you don't know it until you actually meet them. but it was somebody that we could work with that understood what we did, we understood what they did, and that there was definitely synergies in both of what we did. So the company that we ended up merging with or being purchased by is a company that really does nothing in our area except they provide advertising for auctions. Okay. We provide software for auctions but we don't provide advertising. So it's a really good fit. We complement each other. And that is probably the single most important thing that we we found out is how do we complement each other along the way?
1: And how did you get in touch with this company? Did you meet them in the industry or did something else come about? Uh,
0: We got a phone call from Barnabys, which was the name of the company that bought us. And they were trying to pitch us on some advertising. But again, we don't do advertising. And, you know, our clients are our, the auction companies themselves. So, but we start to talk right away and we recognize instantly that there's something there. So she passed me off to their CEO and we instantly talked and we
1: got along well and we flew over to Sweden to do negotiations and things worked out. That's fantastic. So how was that, that process once you kind of made that connection and you knew that this was a, a good fit, culturally and that it seemed like a, a real possibility how was the kind of the m a process for you
0: it was really good it's an emotional time because again the passion that you have so you know, obviously you guys represented us and the lawyers that represented us were very articulate they were reasonable they understood what we were doing and they understood our passion for it so a lot of the times if you negotiate directly with the company emotions get in the way and then heads to start knocking. So fortunately for us, we had some really good lawyers on both ends that were able to negotiate the way through the, all the pitfalls.
1: Yeah. I think that's a key that a lot of people may not realize sitting on the sidelines is, is how, how emotional it can be, how stressful absolutely. it can be. Cause you know, at that point in time, like how, how many years had you been working on it? 10, 12, 12, 12 years yes. of what, you know, this is your baby and you've been working on it. And absolutely. and, not only that,
0: but you know, I'm running things every day. It's my money. You know, every dollar I spend is dollar out of my pocket. So, it's it's hard to give that up. You know, and you have to be prepared to make sacrifices along the way.
1: Yeah, and I think you raise a good point, though. It's it's good to have counsel or, or somebody who's representing Absolutely. you who understands your business, understands your passion, but at the same time. Can represent you in such a way that takes some of that emotion out of it, so that they can advocate for you.
0: Along the way, you and I we've worked together on different problem customers, and where I'm furious at them and everything, but you're, you know, you have a very calming sense about when you in an email it comes across very professional. Where if I wrote that same email, I, I you know, you know, we would argue even further. So, it, well, I think it's that's good, a good to have that calming. Yeah influence next to you and telling you what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad for you
1: yeah i, I think that's important to be able to advocate and take your emotion take your passion and, and convert it into something that we can absolutely absolutely now i, I want to go back to to one thing you mentioned as well because i think sometimes it's hard to realize how much of a distraction an m&a can be because you're still operating the business uh, Yeah, you it, still have a business yes. that was taking up all of your time the day before <laughs> and now you're adding in 10, 20 hours a week or more trying to get this deal done. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, you have to
0: keep your eye on the business. You cannot let it off because it's a probably a six to eight to 10 week process. It could be longer depending on, you know, the, the size of the, the acquisition, but, Like you said, every day you have to make sure the bills are be paid. That you're you're picking up new customers. That you're doing all the installs. That any problems that are along the way or any outages along the way that you're responding to them. And and then you're trying to talk to the lawyers and tell them you know you know where you stand on this version of today's requests or you know offers from the from the the the, the new company. And then they're obviously six hours ahead of us, so. You know, early in the morning you're waking up, answering those emails, or late at night they're up, wait. So there's a
1: lot of that's right because the company that was acquiring you was based out of Sweden. So that's right, right. You get to throw a time change in there as well. Right. <laughs> so there's a lot of frazzled nerves, and then you're trying to talk to your customers
0: and make sure that they don't pick up on what's going on because you don't want to lose new customers because of a merger. That's the last thing you want to do. So you don't say anything about that and try to make it as business as
1: usual as possible. Yeah. So, so how do you feel now that? I guess you're what, two years into the the merger? Yep, uh, two years December. Okay, Uh, how's how's it been? How's kind of the the joining of two companies gone for you? As with anything, there's good things about it and there's bad things about it.
0: But on a whole, I would say 90% is great. I I wouldn't, if I had to do it all over again, I would do the same thing. The people that we work with are fantastic. They are very hands-off, which makes them fantastic to me. (laughs) (laughs) But they are taking our software platform that we've, created and making a 2.0 version of that. And so we're working with them on that. The things that we would have liked to have done in the beginning, now we're able to do and get into the new version of the software and make it more user-friendly. So there's a lot of upside to this, but there's also a lot of pain along the way. So every new customer that we get now, we eventually have to move over to the new software at some point.
1: How about, do you have any kind of business leaders or other entrepreneurs that you look up to or have tried to I don't want to say model yourself after, but maybe emulate a little bit. There was a couple that have helped me along the way.
0: One being Scott Wingo, that he talked to me a few times along the way. And then he started Spiffy as well. Mm-hmm. And so he worked with me a couple of times. And I really liked his style. I liked his laid back approach to everything. And so I tried to model myself after that. Although I'm not as laid back as he is, but he was one of the the key people that helped me.
1: That's great. So what what would you say is the best thing about... Owning your own business, being your own boss. Well, the best thing is is that you
0: have nobody else to blame but yourself for the choices you make. <laughs> That's the best thing. Believe it or not, because you really can't gripe to anybody about a decision somebody else made. You made it, you stick with it, mm-hmm. and if you believe in it, you see it through. I really. It sounds weird, but
1: yeah. That's interesting. So, and then what's the flip side of that? What's the, what's the worst thing about being an entrepreneur or being your own boss? I would
0: say I, I, I don't know if there's a huge downside to it, except that you financially you're responsible for it. So the people, the employees, and they have to get paid first, and they have to get their problems solved first before they can give you what they have. So. Probably the employees that are dependent on you—it's a big responsibility.
1: Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that because you know, when did you first take on other than your, your brother? Mm-hmm. When did you start first start taking on employees? Probably
0: after about four or five years. We just grew so fast and grew so big. We had brought in a couple developers and uh, a customer service rep, and we just recognized immediately that as much as I love my brother, we couldn't work together on a day-to-day basis and just knock heads the way we were. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, you just say things that, you know, you can't ever untake. Back. <laughs> and so, you know, putting somebody in between us was very helpful. And then having somebody else to do the work, you know, other than us, obviously took a lot of the load off
1: of us. So what was that like? I, was, I mean, you mentioned now that it adds some stress to, to having people yeah. under you that you're responsible well, for. Like
0: with any choice you make and any decision you make, there's a good point about it. And then there's going to be a con about it. So you always have your pros and cons about the decisions and the choices you make. Obviously, getting the work done faster, getting more money in is the good thing. But then now you have a personality you have to deal with and make sure that they fit within the team. And now you're responsible for their, you know, livelihood at that point. So it's a
1: risk versus
0: reward thing that
1: you just have to deal with. How do you, how do you approach kind of hiring new people to the company? I mean, do you, do you have a strategy or do you just kind of get a feel for the people?
0: it's a personality thing. I try to make sure that that I'm not the only person that talks to them, that other people talk to them, get their opinions about that person, make sure that they're a good fit within the team. There's obviously technical, you know, the intelligence that we have to have about it, but with the first person that I hired to be a technical support person worked at a retail clothing store because I knew she knew how to deal with people and people that you know had problems and you know as bad as our problems are with customers, having 500 people come in and complain about the size of a, of a <laughs> shoe is 10 times worse. So, you know, you try to find an area that you're finding a problem for.
1: Well, wow, that, that's great. So we are the, the founders shares podcast. So now is your opportunity to, as a founder, is there one piece of wisdom or advice that you would either share with yourself at a younger age or with somebody who's just getting started? Stay with your passion.
0: I mean, if you like what you're doing and you like the industry and that you're in, stick with it. I mean, if you fail, at least you failed throwing something that you really liked. And if it's a passion, it's not a job.
1: I love it. That's that's great advice. And Bob, this has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I could talk to you forever, but you know, eventually some people stop stop listening. So (laughs) I I really appreciate you working with you over the years and uh, just thanks for all you do. I appreciate it, Trevor. It's been a wonderful 10 years working with you as well. Thanks so much, Bob. All right. Take care. that was bob friedman co-founder and ceo of blue dog software which is now a part of barnaby's if you want to learn more about barnaby's check them out at barnaby's.com that's b-a-r-n-e-b-y-s.com or to learn more about simple auction site just check them out at their website simpleauctionsite.com we hope you enjoyed the first two episodes of our podcast If you missed out on episode one with Carl Rectanus from Learn Platform, be sure to check it out. He's got a fascinating story and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And if you're a founder or business owner in need of legal advice, we'd love to hear from you. You can start by checking us out at Hutchlaw.com. That's H-U-T-C-H-L-A-W.com. We have the capacity to help you out with just about any legal need your company may be facing and we would love to hear from you. We're passionate about the innovation economy and we're ready to support you on your entrepreneurial journey. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and we'll talk to you next time on the Founder Shares podcast.